all these seven giants, if you think about it, their purpose is to rob us of that, to steal from us, to kill in our lives and to destroy. So we have to make it our absolute heart's conviction to say we're drawing a line in the sand and no more, your time is up. If you remember the seven giants, I'll quickly recap them just to refresh your memories. It was the giant of look good, the giant of feel good, the giant of being right, the giant of staying in control, the giant of hidden agendas, the giant of, sorry, <laughs> personal advantage, and today's giant is called remaining undisturbed. And the giant of looking good, we go back to the first one, that was the one where we are obsessed with managing people's perceptions about us. We want to look good. Social media feeds into this a lot. Um, and it causes anxiety and fear of man when we live in that space. And so that's why we slayed that giant. The giant of feeling good, that is the giant that we, we are driven by pleasure and we think that somehow we deserve pleasure and the minute something is uncomfortable, we shy away from it. But what that giant will do in your life is you'll be awake when you should be sleeping, you'll be wanting to sleep when you should be awake, <laughs> you want to play when you should be working, and when it's actually your play and rest time, now you have to work to catch up. So basically, that giant disrupts your entire life and causes all these unhealthy habits and things we struggle with. The giant of being right, the third one, that was when you have to be right at all costs. It's winning the battle and losing the war in the process. And why it's so damaging is we forget that people want to feel heard and they want to feel understood. And if I have to be right all the time, I just block that out and people start moving away from me because they don't feel heard or understood around me. The fourth one, the giant was staying in control. That's when people will use manipulation, um, trying to play people and circumstances up as long as they feel like they're remaining in control, and it's also driven by so much um, almost self-righteousness of I know the best, and therefore I'll decide for everybody and remaining in control. And it, it gives up allowing God to work in our lives. It gives up saying to him, but you're the God who's in control. I'm not, because his ways are so much higher than mine and so much better than mine. The giant of hidden agendas, very similar to staying in control. It's when what you do and say and where you put your energy is all about your secret hidden agenda. But what often happens is that's not God's agenda. So again, we're wasting all this time and energy and effort into something that is against God's assignment for us. Then the giant of personal advantage, where everything is done for selfish ambition, um, very similar to the giant of personal agenda that we spoke about last week. And then something interesting that I found is I read up about the seven giants, and I remember, but there were seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 and that there were problems in those churches that it speaks of, but also then what are the promises of God for those who are victorious and those that overcome. And I was just blown away when I realized there's a perfect overlap, that the seven giants speak to the challenges that were faced in those seven churches. It was also the spirit of control and manipulation that they had to overcome, of being lukewarm, of losing your first love, all those things. And those promises were so beautiful, I'm going to read some of them to you. 
To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And the reason why we are slaying that giant is to eat from the tree of life and what is opposing death in our lives. Um, the feel-good giant, what the promise is, to the one who is victorious, he will not be hurt at all by the second death. Your obsession to feel good and have pleasure, when you overcome that, you won't be hurt by the second death. Like, it's just incredible. Um, to the one who always wants to be right, he says, if you overcome it, I will give some of the hidden manna, in other words, the stuff that will sustain you in really hard times. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. And it speaks about how God will completely transform our identities when we overcome that giant and when we slay it. To the one who always wants to stay in control when you overcome that, the promise is, I will give authority over the nations to you. How beautiful is that? Because it's saying, God, now you're in control, and therefore you can entrust the nations to you. The hidden agenda giant, the promise there is, to the one who's victorious, they will be dressed in white, in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. When we make God's agenda our agenda, he acknowledges us before the Father and the angels in heaven. To the giant of personal advantage, the promise. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So again, personal advantage, selfish ambition when we give that up that beautiful promise of God that we inherit. And then today's giant, remaining undisturbed. That's the one I got. <laughs> the one I've struggled with for many years. So the giant of remaining undisturbed came along and he caught me in a big cage and he took me off to his cave. <laughs> and I sat in that dungeon for more than a decade of my life. And it's one of my biggest regrets that I can't get that time back. Like, I often think, how far could I have been in intimacy and knowing the heart of the Father and knowing my God if it wasn't for all those years remaining undisturbed and <laughs> locked up in the cage? <laughs> okay. So what does this giant of remaining undisturbed look like? He disguises himself by the need for stability, saying, I'll keep myself safe. I will show up for the things of God only to the extent that it falls within my personal comfort and my personal safe space and what my limits are. And one of the parables that speaks so beautifully of that is the parable of the Samaritan. Imagine being beaten up by robbers, stripped and left for dead. And you're lying there with your eyes swollen shut. There's normally always like one good eye that you can kind of peep out of. <laughs> and you hear these footsteps coming and you think they're coming to help me. Or you're thinking, oh, they're coming to finish me off. Which one is it? And you see a priest coming and you think, oh, he's going to help me. And he crosses to the other side of the road and he just walks past. And then you hear footsteps again and you think, oh, it's a Levite tribe of the priesthood, surely he'll have compassion on me, surely he'll help. And he walks away. 
And then comes the Samaritan, who were perceived like the dogs of society at the time. And the reason for that was they took some of the word of God, but they twisted it a bit. And that's why the Israelites despised them. And they also lived in the trade route area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan. That's where they, so they were traders, and they were despised. And here comes a Samaritan, not the person we would choose to receive help from. I would have preferred if the priest or the Levite picked me up, but it's the Samaritan, the ones who look down on. It's him coming along, picking him up. What inconvenience, binding up wounds, it costed him, spending his precious oils and things to try and fix this man up, then carrying him on his donkey to the next village, paying the innkeeper, saying, please take care of him, and if I owe you more money, let me know. It disrupted his day. It disrupted his comfort zone. It disrupted his pocket. <laughs> it cost him. And yet he was prepared to do that. And the giant of remaining undisturbed. I don't think it's because the Levite and the priest didn't have compassion. I just didn't think it fit in with their day. It was inconvenient. They felt sorry for him. But they had somewhere to be, people to see, things to do. Come, let's go. And they couldn't let it interrupt them and break into their day. And um, I'm also reminded of these scriptures in Mark 10, verse 22, and Matthew 8, that speaks about when Jesus' um, disciples were following him, and he was calling more disciples, the ones that turned away. It was the giant of remaining undisturbed that was an operation in their lives. The one was a rich young ruler, and it said that he owned a lot of property. And when Jesus said, okay, sell it all and come follow me, he went away grieved. It was the one thing he couldn't give up because now the school didn't fit in with his plans. The other um, man, he said, um, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my, bury my father. It's not that his father had already died. His father was elderly. He was saying, please let me stay with my family and take care of them and then allow, after that, I'll come and follow you. And Jesus said, now let the dead bury their own dead. And not because he doesn't care about family. There are many scriptures where he, you know, he asks us to look after our family and care for them. That wasn't the principle. The principle was we have to say yes to the call of God in our lives, even if it's inconvenient. And um, something that just shook me a bit awake, like woke me up in my cage in the dungeon, was somebody said to me, Nadine, who are you to decide when the call of God can kick in in your life? Why do I make that my choice? You know, we want to be on the winning team. We want to say, yes, Jesus is going to win in the end, so I'm on the winning team, and I'm going to follow him, and rah, rah, I'm a Christian. But I don't want to share any suffering. I don't want it to cost me. And there's a reason why we get to that place in life. It could be trauma, hurt, betrayal, disappointment. I was all rah, rah, gung-ho until life beat me down six love again and again and again. And my beatings down all happened in church. And that's why it broke me. And why I said I'll never put my hand up again and rather leave me here. You know, and I thank God for friends like Estelle who dragged me to church in Pretoria every Sunday, even though I didn't want to go, to sit there in a mega church where nobody knew my name and nobody spoke to me and I didn't meet a single new person. That was my comfort zone. I was there, but I didn't put my hand up. Just leave me undisturbed because you guys aren't a safe place to me. And I know there's many people who feel that way, like that's what caused them to shrink back. 
But you know those areas where we get attacked in and hammered most is often the very area that God has called us to. Why did the enemy try so hard to pull me out of church? Why did he try so hard to stop me from ever doing this? Because it's the very thing he's invited me into. And for a lot of us, these things we shrink back from and that we're afraid of, and the very reason is that that's the area that God has called you to and where he wants you. And he wants to heal and redeem and restore in us. And what's also interesting for me is every one of those seven giants that we've covered, including the giant of remaining undisturbed, they are created by voids and hurts in our lives. That's what gives them the right and the authority to operate. I don't know if any of you, have, maybe all of you, have watched The Lord of the Rings. You know what the orcs look like. <laughs> and there's one episode where he says, do not even let the orcs cross your land. Don't allow them to trade there. Never mind, settle down. Don't even allow them to cross your land. And so there has to be this thing inside of us that goes, I will draw the territory lines and the border lines and the boundary lines, and I'm not going to even let you cross here, let alone set up camp of these things. And the reason is I don't want to be challenged by the word of God. I don't want to be challenged by these seven giants that oh, now I know how to recognize them and I know where their territories are. I want to be changed. I want them gone. I want a clean land. The orcs aren't even going to cross this land. And because of that, we have to sit in our hearts like your time is up and allow the Holy Spirit to show you which ones still have territory. Where's a little base camp or a trench or a path that they still follow that you're turning a blind eye to? And go after them. Because God has given us the, the weapons, the victory. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to take ground for him. He wants us to complete our God assignments. He's on our side, he's all for us. And he's given us everything we need to do that. We don't have to hold back or shrink back or settle for these things. So this giant of remaining undisturbed as well, it causes a callousness and a, a calcification in our hearts. And Ezekiel 36 speaks of, I'll take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And enough hurt and disappointments will cause you to have a callous heart of stone. And to share more about my testimony, just in terms of, so how did that time end? Other than I realized it's not up to me how long I want to sit in the cage in the dungeon to an illegitimate power that's holding me there. Was saying, God, I need to forgive, I need to release and let go. And the thing with forgiveness is we can forgive people, but we still carry the wound and the hurt. We forget to ask God to heal us. And we're the first ones to say, yes, we trust for healing when it comes to physical healing, but how much do we trust God for inner healing of those hurts and voids and disappointments that has put us in those places? And, um, yeah, so what happened is I came to Center Church. After my time in the dungeon, I was convicted of get involved. Somebody needs to know your name. God has not written me off. I've not been left on the shelf full of dust, discarded, back burner. I honestly believed that the call of God was over on my life. I believed that. I believed that the promises of God was for everybody sitting there except for me. Because why was it at the hand of Christians and church that I suffered as much as I did? Surely God didn't love me or care. 
And um, we came here for the first time. I called for backup. I asked the Google girls. Because <laughs> I, I, I was, my heart was so rebellious. And I'm like, okay, God, if you want me in a church, I'll Google the closest church to my house. And that's why I go, I don't care what denomination, what doctrine they believe. <laughs> it's got to be convenient. <laughs> like, and we came in here. And um, I had my backup with me. We tried to, I tried to do my usual thing of running out straight after the service, and Car and Tron just blew, <laughs> blocked the way. <laughs> so where are you here? Where are you from? <laughs> like what I dreaded most was happening. <laughs> and um, I just laugh at the grace of God, you know, just how he works in our lives. And the following Sunday... Um, Somebody was preaching, and in the middle of the service, they pointed at me, and they said, that girl sitting over there, stand up. <laughs> it says, what is your name? I had to tell the whole church my name. My biggest fear. <laughs> and as he said it, this realization dawned on me, my name means hope. So God gave me my new name in that moment, like reminded me, you hope, you're not the chick stuck in the dungeon who's been disqualified by church, by the world, by whoever else, by myself, mostly, you know. I also acknowledge I was pointing fingers at the church and not seeing my own part in it. I did that too, to justify why I am where I'm at. And um, yes, and he, and he spoke, he just said, but you've been called to draw from living water and to give it to other people. Just restoring me. And it was one prophetic word that literally shattered that cage to pieces. And I walked out different, changed. And to make sure I don't go back there, I did this crazy thing where I said, okay, God, I'm going to say yes to you. I'll be available. As disqualified as I feel, I'll be available. I'll just say yes to you. And I said, God, whatever you ask of me, through people, I'll say yes. <laughs> Gosh, did that take me places. <laughs> like 17 towns later, involved with a prophetic ministry, and, and not just go along and learn. No, 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 you're facilitating groups. No, you're speaking. <laughs> just throw me in in the deep end. But it had to get like out of my comfort zone for me to stop being that stuck person. Um, even standing here preaching today, I would never put my hand up for that. But if John asked, then I'll say, I said yes. <laughs> I'll be available. There's 300 people more qualified, but I'll, I'll be here, I'll do it. <laughs> and sometimes it takes that to say, God, I'll just say yes. But so the other thing that we have to guard against of this giant of remaining undisturbed is... I have made those I'll say yes things before, but then I put 50 hurdles in the way. So if Cindy asks me and John asks me and I get the scripture and Eric confirms it and my connect group and then I will. <laughs> All these demands and hurdles instead of just stepping forward. And so another latest hobby of mine, I think to Eric's utter horror, is I start picking people up next to the road. Like, it's another thing that's become a yes. So I'm driving into Cosmos City night after night after night, dropping people up at their houses who can't find taxis, who can't find lifts. And the one night I had nine people in my car. <laughs> and the, 
<laughs> the police stopped me and they're like stuck in the boot like this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just taking these people home. <laughs> like, please don't find me. We're all wearing our masks like a bunch of raccoons in the car looking at him. <laughs> so then they got to know me, and the one time I even had a police escort while I'm driving through dongas and ditches and dropping everyone off. But just, it was also just coming out of lockdown and hearing the testimonies, hearing the testimonies of people who literally both of them lost their job and for se with two small children, and for six months they, they didn't have food. Every day was like, God, are we going to get food today? Or they get a little bit and they just give it to their kids because they know there's nothing for them to eat. Like, just the suffering, but there's still joy. And they hold on to their faith and all of that. Um, and so even that has given me such a beautiful perspective of God's heart. And I pray, Lord, fill the car with your spirit. Just fill it with your Holy Spirit in, in, in their hearts. Work in their hearts, Lord God, so that they, when I drop them off, they leave encouraged and strengthened and refreshed and knowing that there's a God who loves them. Uh, one lady I picked up in four ways also took her, and she kept saying, are you real? Are you real? Because I took her front to her front row, and I said, no, no. Jesus loves you. That's what I'm doing this. Jesus didn't want you to stand there in the dark without a taxi clutching your handbag in fear. He wanted you to get home safely tonight. He cares about you. He loves you. And so when we step out and do these things, make sure that people know it's because Jesus loves them. It's got nothing to do with me. There's a God who adores them and who sees the need. And um, I won't I mention other names and embarrass certain people that may be here visiting, but um, I was just so challenged by her. So what she'll do is when she goes shopping, she says, God, who needs their medicine or who needs their groceries paid for? Show me, because I've got extra. And God is faithful and points the person out. And then they know Jesus loves them and sees them because it's a person who had a desperate need that day. And so there's these ways to break out of undisturbed, that is to say, God, give me eyes that see and a sensitivity to notice where I can help, what I can do, you know, what's surrounding us. And, um, yeah, I think that important part, again, just coming back to it's so easy to get a calloused heart and a hard heart because of hurt. But we can't remain that way. And in a way, we're all justified in it, but we can't stay there. We've got to say, God, you know when clay go, starts going dry and hard and you mold and you feel these crunchy bits, <laughs> these hard pieces? We've got to have those things dealt with and say, I can't stay, I can't remain like this any longer. And um, also why it's so important, I've been doing so much reading up about the revivals that has happened in South Africa in the past. There was a revival in 1860 and a revival in 1874 in our country. And um, it started down in Worcester and in the Cape, Cullinan and those areas, and then spread through the rest of South Africa. And I know that something that so many of us have treasured in our hearts is to say, God, can I see and be part of and witness a revival in my lifetime? But it starts with reviving my heart and softening my heart and getting me to a place where I'll say yes to the call, where I'll say yes to just being available, even if I feel completely disqualified. The 1874 revival was started by children. I thought, oh my goodness. You know, the Holy Spirit in a child is just as big and strong and powerful as it is in any adult. 
It's the same Holy Spirit. And people would go to the kids to receive healing and deliverance <laughs> and to be prayed for. And the amazing part of these revivals is people would be convicted wherever they were sitting, whatever they were doing. The presence of God would fall on them. And they'd literally get up and flock to a church and, and cry out and say, I need Jesus, please. Imagine that in our city. Imagine that in our nation. And it can be a reality when we as a church decide we are dealing with these seven giants, we are slaying them, we are cutting them off once and for all, revival becomes very real. It starts here and it flows over into the, you know, the, everything around us. And um, the 1860 revival also, you know, people try to quench it and stop it and say, what's happening here? And then somebody stood up and said, no, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. We've just got to because it was against the religious mindset of the day, or what was happening. And um, I want to read a prophecy for you guys from uh, the lady is called Jennifer Leclerc. She wrote a book called Dream Wild. And um, it has to do with the fact that not, it's not about me fulfilling my dreams. It's about me chasing the God of my dreams. And when I do that, he takes us on these incredible adventures. He takes us on things we could never even have imagined for ourselves, and it would be the impossible, what is impossible for us. Because then we know God is at work. And it kills off the self-reliance and the self-centeredness of what this giant remaining undisturbed causes in our lives. And um, this prophecy she wrote says this. So uh, she's praying and interceding for South Africa. It's one of the nations she's chosen. And she says, I'm calling you to pull from your revival heritage. I'm calling you to pray the prayers of the pioneers who pressed in and pursued revival long before you were birthed. Something so amazing for me is those prayers that were prayed by the pioneers, they not disappeared and dissolved and gone, they still speak in heaven. And we can align to that and pray it and see the power of that in our generation. If you will cultivate in your heart a passion for souls, and pray for the harvest, I will rain down on you. I will rend the heavens and come down to you. I will pour my spirit out on your nation again in such a way that ancient divisions will find healing in my presence. You must pray like the pioneers and prophets from decades and even centuries ago. They grabbed hold of my heart and not just the horns of the altar. I moved in their midst in a mighty way in response to their humble prayers. South Africans will awaken when the intercessors are fully awake and when the evangelists are fully prepared to reap the harvest. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest that he will ready laborers to reap after intercessors have sown. Pray without ceasing until you see my will come to pass, says the Lord. For many revivals will break out in Africa, but South Africa is the tipping point to awakening a continent. We have such a re responsibility in our generation to be the Daniels, to be the guys who will be the prophets, who will speak of God's goodness and grace, but we can't do it when we're stuck. We have one life one opportunity, one chance, and to say today, God, I'm stepping into your call. I'm stepping into a sign for you, for me as 
undisqualified or whatever I feel to go beyond that and say I'll be available. You know what the real issue is? It's a matter of love. So if you think of these seven giants, part of what they do in our hearts is they speak against and they destroy love. They violate love. And every time we choose fear over that love and over faith, we violate God's very design for us. Because it's not leaving us dependent on him and dependent on the impossible he's going to do in us and through us. Um, I'm also reminded, I think it's in John 20, of where there was the unbelieving Thomas who said, God, I'll believe if I see. And Jesus says, no, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. And there's this thing where we can position our hearts in that place of we'll believe without seeing. And why is that an extra blessing in that? Do you know that we'll never get this opportunity again to believe without seeing? We won't have it in heaven. The angels don't have it. It's only us who can offer a sacrifice of praise. It's only us who can worship and adore him, even though there's a veil between us, and who can praise him in the midst of our darkest, most horrific moments when nothing adds up and nothing makes sense, when it feels like the promises are mocking us. To say, God, I'll believe without seeing, I'm all in. I'm just all in. <laughs> Look more, no hands. <laughs> <laughs> throw yourself in there. <laughs> yeah, and it's because we've got this responsibility. Let's see a generation saved. Let's see our city saved. It could be something as simple as walk in your neighborhood and make it a prayer walk when you go for walks. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's happening in houses around you and pray for the families who live there. Or when you're driving home, intercede in those streets and say, God, pour out your spirit, Joel 2.28. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Pray that scripture over your neighborhoods where you drive. Again, it will have such an impact, but we don't see it, so we just get on with our day. But those are the things that it speaks of the intercessors being fully awake. It means don't miss an opportunity to intercede. Don't miss an opportunity to stand in the gap. It's something we can all do. It's something we can make part of our daily lives. And I think we often feel like we're not living in the fullness of God. We feel it, we sense it, but we don't know why. And when you put your hand up for intercession, it's one way of stepping into that fullness that God has for us. Because it means now you're abiding in your day-to-day, -day, wherever you go. See people next to this, walking next to the road, climbing into taxis, and say, God, I just pray for that man right now. Maybe he needs a job, whatever's necessary, Lord, just bless them. Speak to his heart right now. Let him feel your love. Bring circumstances about in his life. Open his eyes and ears to your incredible love for him. It's just conversing with God throughout the day with what you see around you. And allow your senses to be awakened by God what you see, what you hear, what you taste, all those things, and say, Lord, what are you saying through it? Converse with them. 
You know, I've been through hard times in my life with a cold and callous heart, far from God, and I've been through hard times in my life leaning into God and close to Him. And I'll tell you, this is a lot easier. There's nothing worse than going through hard times and suffering and you're far from God. That is what puts us in captivity and bondage. And the issue is not that stuff gets broken in our lives. That happens. Oh, my goodness. I've been through divorces. I've been assaulted. I've been my <laughs> fiancé making a married woman pregnant. Like, you name it. <laughs> my husband being addicted to pornography and going to prostitutes for six years, and I didn't have a clue. It was these things where I'm like, but God, how did I not know it? How did I not see it? How could I be so often oblivious to these things, to what is real, what is not real, what is right, what isn't right. How did I miss it? We're on the pastoral team of the church. How on earth did this even happen? Going through those devastations, and then forgiveness isn't a once-off thing. Forgiveness becomes a daily activity like you shower. Estelle always says it's like spilling toffee on the stove, and you take that nut lappy and every day rinse the bit and Keep at it and forgive and heal and forgive and heal and forgive and heal. All those disappointments and betrayals and hurts, it becomes a lifestyle thing. It's not a once-off. And that's how we position our hearts is to be able to be part of revival in ourselves and in other people and our nation. And um, yeah, if you allow me, what I thought of today is that we allow the Holy Spirit to do a bit of a work in our hearts. To say whatever those giants are, I'm gonna run through them, look good, feel good, be right, stay in control, hidden agenda, personal advantage, remaining undisturbed. To say, Jesus, come enough. I forgive, I release, and I pray for healing so that I can be free from this. And just let the Holy Spirit work in your heart and determine that you will leave you changed because that's what God wants for us. You know, he's more committed to you receiving your full reward and your full inheritance in heaven than you are. He's done it all. He wants to be so close and so near to you. And he speaks to us tenderly and gently. If there's any inner voices right now that is critical, shameful, judgmental, that is not of God. God's Holy Spirit's conviction will always pull us to a higher standard, but there's peace and joy in that. There's a new day in it. There's freedom in it. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Centre Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Centre Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.